today by New Year's Eve, the world? That's what ISIS is probably saying to themselves. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. A time of terror indeed. Um, I'm sure you already know about the Berlin incident earlier this week. And it's not just Berlin, though. Um, there are incidents. It's, it's kind of like, where's Waldo um, looking for the next in incident? Australia uh, foiled a bomb plot, a Christmas bomb plot. Germany had other plots that they foiled. Well, actually, one was a 12-year-old boy who... Um, had explosive devices that didn't explode, <laughs> but he was um, thought to be uh, following the uh, philosophy of ISIS. Then also in Germany, they just after the, the market, the Berlin market terrorist attack, there was a plot that they foiled by two men from Kosovo. And then we have the Malta plane that was hijacked by two Libyans. Um, and on and on and on, and it's, it's not even Christmas Eve yet. Um, it's, and then there's Christmas Day, and then there's New Year's, and um, the ISIS is really trying to make this a holiday season to end all, literally to end all holiday seasons, where they have one attack after the other, perpetrated by lone wolves. Um, obviously, ISIS is losing ground, um, in Iraq and Syria, and they are trying to make up for that by uh, doubling down on their propaganda and trying to get people all over the world, lone wolves and all over the world, to be inspired to create terror attacks. Um, let me, before, uh, before I get into the um, Berlin attack and then go on to the others. And, and mainly what I really want to talk about today is how this, the Berlin attack is important, not just for the tragedy that it is and not just because it was a Christmas market where um, an open marketplace where people were feeling the Christmas spirit, buying gifts uh, undoubtedly and um, being in a totally opposite frame of mind uh, of a terrorist attack, <laughs> and this this beautiful Christmas spirit was in a second destroyed by uh, a lone wolf terrorist. Um, how did you feel when you heard about the Berlin attack? Did you feel sorry for those who died, angry at the terrorist who drove the truck into the market? where the people were shopping, scared that this could happen to you wherever you were Christmas shopping, guilty about how strongly this made you feel about not letting immigrants from terrorist countries come into the U.S. Now, I'm going to explain why you shouldn't let your guilt cloud your judgment and remain in denial. Now, probably you were feeling all of these feelings. I certainly was. Um, and the problem, you know, the problem in Germany is going to be a lightning rod, um, a, a point where we're probably going to be seeing 
more of these incidents happening because of Angela Merkel having let in a million, at least a million refugees, so-called refugees, immigrants, whatever you want to call them, people from lands where um, there are many terrorists preaching how you need to uh, dominate the West, Western countries, Western cultures, and um, put them under um, radical Islamist rule. So we're going to be seeing, you know, more, particularly more, I mean, you know, that, that's the thing. Um, with a million, now, okay, I'm not saying, I want to get this clear from the front, uh, I'm not saying that all of these immigrants that were allowed in to Germany and to some of the other um, European countries, not all of them have are terrorists with terrorist ideas and plans. But um, certainly, but you don't need all of them to have these plans. You just need a few. Um, now, a Trump son was um, was chastised when he talked about the bowl of Skittles, using that as an example or a, you know an illustration. <clears throat> that if someone handed you a bowl of Skittles and that had many many Skittles in them, and there were only three that were going to be poisonous and kill you, would you eat any of the Skittles? Now, I know, you know, I know, of course, everything that I say, or most of what I say is controversial, so why should I? But, but you know, I, I'm hoping that people are going to be seeing this for themselves, that, um, you know, our political correctness is just killing us, literally killing us. I mean, Angela Merkel let all these people in, um, for politically correct ideas and because, you know, the, the population in Germany, I mean, this is her excuse, the population in Germany was getting older without producing as many children and um, they needed more people to, uh, to work in the factories and to work in the country in general in different jobs. And that was her alleged um, rationale for letting in a million immigrants. Well, <clears throat> The problem is that at the, the rapid rate that she let them in, there was essentially no vetting. And that is how the man, uh, Anis Amri, Amri, who was the um, terrorist who was in the truck, who drove the truck into the German market, this is how he was able to get in. And I, I'll get um, talk more about that later. But for right now, um, there, in the Berlin attack, there are 12 dead and 48 injured. The number of dead can potentially increase because some of these injured are very seriously injured. In the cab of the tractor trailer, there was a Polish man who was the real, you know, who was supposed to be the truck driver, um, but the truck was hijacked by the terrorist who then killed, uh, stabbed, and shot, and uh, the this Polish man who was found dead in the cab of the tractor trailer. <clears throat> his 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 truck was hijacked. He certainly um, had nothing to do with. Did not want to um, kill. You know, uh, drive the truck into the market. But by that time, he was presumably dead. Um, then they found an un another interesting 
aspect that isn't really being reported on that much in terms of the significance. The, 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 well, part of it, the, there was a delay in knowing who the real terrorist truck driver was. Um, they arrested originally the wrong man, and then it took them at least a day to find the wallet that was underneath the driver's seat. Now, you know, I mean, this, this whole incident is pointing out so many flaws in what is happening in Europe and, and actually um, some things that have already been happening in the States, for example, um, the lack of surveillance, the inadequacy of the surveillance, because Anis Amre had been under surveillance and they let him go, just like they had let go um, Omar Mateen in the Orlando terrorist attack. He had been under uh, surveillance. He had been questioned and so on. They let him go. The Boston bombers, uh, they had been under question and they let them go. So, you know, this is another aspect of the political correctness problem because um, of uh, not really um, doing more to uh, make sure that these people aren't allowed to, to commit terrorist attacks or are watched longer and so on. Um, it also uh, highlights the problem of there being more, many more terrorists than police or FBI or CIA or the uh, equivalent um, uh, terrorist or counter-terrorist institutions in Europe as well, all over the world. I mean, that's the problem, getting back to the Skittles. There aren't enough of these people who um, uh, watch, who can investigate the potential terrorists uh, to, to continue to watch them or to watch all of them. I mean, when you allow a million people to come into your country at once, essentially at once, there is no way that you can possibly vet them all and, and watch them all. In fact, it's been estimated that you need 40 police or 40 investigators in order to watch one person who is under surveillance. Now, you know, that's not gonna happen. That's just not gonna be able to happen, which of course points out how important the vetting is. So getting back to the um, wallet <laughs> under the seat, because as a psychiatrist, I find this really interesting. Uh, you, you might wonder why this man uh, left his identifying documents in his wallet and left it under the seat. I mean, it's, it's hardly an accident. Um, I think that it was a conscious or at least unconscious uh, movement, behavior, act to uh, make sure that his his identity was known. And in fact, that goes along with the fact that um, ISIS just released after Anis Amre is now dead. He was shot in Italy, I'll tell you about that. But after he was killed, uh, ISIS has now released a video that um, Mr. Amri <laughs> uh, taped of himself and sent up posted to ISIS a video in Berlin, in fact, um, where he talks about uh, how he's, he's 
persuading, trying to persuade other people to do similar attacks. And clearly he did this and uploaded it before the attack because he couldn't have known whether he was going to be killed during the attack or not. In the end, he was, uh, you know, and especially because they didn't find the, uh, the wallet and, the, and his identity uh, until at least a day later after the truck went into the market, that gave him a chance to um, get a head start and escape. And he supposedly, it's not definitive, but it seems like the information that we have now is that he went from Germany to France to Italy, where he was then um, killed. And what's interesting is that in Italy, the two policemen who came upon him at around three in the morning didn't know that this was who they were looking for, even though supposedly um, Germany sent out um, information, identifying information about him to, you know, worldwide, I would imagine, um, certainly to Europe and certainly to Italy. <laughs> and yet these two police who came upon him did not know who he was. So again, this whole incident is really pointing out so clearly some of the problems in our tracking system, bedding system, um, you know, the, the problem for the, the flaws that allow terrorists to commit terrorist acts. So um, getting back to the video, though, he left this video in which he, uh, there, you can find it on the internet, the picture of the, the, the picture of it, um, you, at least. You can see him standing on a footbridge um, in a kind of a gray sky. It's in Germany. He seems calm. Um, he's in a black hooded windbreaker. You know, it's all very sort of mysterious and evil looking. Um, but he, he calls on Muslims in Europe to rise up and strike at what he calls crusaders. And he says, God willing, we will slaughter you like pigs. Um, to my brothers everywhere, fight for the sake of Allah, protect our religion. Everyone can do this in their own way. People who can fight should fight, even in Europe. Well, um, you know, and for people who, uh, <laughs> the politically correct president, who um, Obama, who doesn't want to acknowledge that this has to do with radical Islam, and, and um, even when this is clearly being said in videos, not just, uh, not just from the Berlin attacker, but all over the place. I mean, we have to acknowledge what it is before we can uh, fight against it. And then um, when, when the news of his death reached his family, they called his family to say, you know, the family in the meantime had been hoping, had been contacted before, and had given interviews. And um, in fact, his father had talked about how he had never really been that religious when he uh, was in Tunisia. Um, that's where he came from. And when he was with his family in Tunisia, he hadn't really been radicalized yet. Um, and he left home around seven years ago and he went to Italy first and he had been put in prison in Italy for various crimes. And um, he actually had been, he, he had been um, a, a criminal in Tunisia too, uh, before he went to Italy. And um, he 
was put in prison in Italy for four years. And that is when he became radicalized. And so um, when his family was contacted after they found his identity in the truck in Berlin, the family was shocked, you know, they're, they're always shocked. Although the father did admit that when he was in prison in, in, uh, in, in Italy, before he went to Germany, um, he was asking the family to send him um, Islamic uh, religious books. And um, so, of course, they you know, had a little hint, that's a little clue, folks, that uh, your son is being radicalized. So the, when they contacted his home to say that he had been killed in Italy, uh, they reached his mother and, and five sisters and three brothers. And uh, at that time, I'm not sure where the father was at that time, but in any case, um, they told him, told the people who called, that they had been holding out hopes that the German authorities were after the wrong guy, even though I guess at some point they had heard that his ID was uh, under the seat. Um, he had a 30-year-old brother named Walid Amri, and he was sounding distressed on the phone when they called and was struggling to speak. And then, of course, his, the women, his mother and his sisters, were wailing in the background. And, um, and his brother said, this is a very difficult time for the entire family. You know, really, it's kind of a difficult time for the families in Berlin whose um, family members were killed and injured as well. Uh, you know, that's, that's a whole other topic that I will talk about in a future podcast about families, whether it's um, families of people who were radicalized in, in the Middle East, radicalized in Europe, um, radicalized in America. You know, families do bear some responsibility uh, if, they don't, uh, if they don't contact the um, authorities and tell them what's happening. I mean, as the father, for example, was was noticing that the, his son was asking for religious books in the prison in Italy, and he hadn't been doing that before, that should have caused him to contact um, the prison authorities. And in fact, the prison authorities did find out that he was being radicalized, and he was actually um, getting into fights and intimidating Christian prisoners in Italy, in the Italian prison. And the um, head of the prison there did tr tell some authorities, some counterterrorism authorities, but they didn't really do anything. Uh, in fact, after the four years when they couldn't get Tunisia, I mean, you know, there's blame to go around all over. When Tun they tried to um, contact Tunisia to send him back to Tunisia from the jail in Italy, but Tunisia wouldn't acknowledge that he was who he was, wouldn't um, confirm his identity. And so they couldn't, the, um, of course the Italian jail should have uh, waited a little longer to, uh, because apparently at some point after he was released, the Tunisian authorities did send a passport for him. But by then he was released and on his way to Germany, where he was welcomed. <laughs> Um, I mean, 
it is so sad. I mean, people, you gotta wake up. This is my call to action, everybody, all over. This is not, um, this is not gonna stop until we wake up at all these different levels and, and realize that we have to take, you know, even if it's politically incorrect to talk about Skittles or politically incorrect to um, hold someone longer in prison just because you can't get their passport um, and, and all kinds of other politically incorrect things. In the meantime, people are dying. So everybody has to, I mean, I, I talk about, I've talked about this before in podcasts, that everybody has to up their game. And I am hoping, I mean, it's kind of tragic that it has to take more and more of these tragic terror attacks to make people um, in authority wake up and realize that a lot more has to be done. But apparently that is what it is taking, and hopefully it can be stopped. I mean, hopefully, like these people in, in Italy, um, the two, I mean, they are to be commended, obviously, for having shot him and taken him off the streets. But, but the way they, they found him at, at around three in the morning, the reason why they stopped him was because they thought he was a burglar. They didn't recognize him, you know, it's unclear, it doesn't seem like they ever saw his picture um, in a, that was sent out. It's interesting, the pictures, the identification um, that was sent out from Germany shows two pictures of him. In one picture, um, <laughs> he's kind of notable for, I could just see him walking into a bar, he could be able to hit on a lot of women. He looks really cute in that picture. And then in the other picture, um, he has glasses and he has his hair short and he has, you know, he just looks like, he looks very different actually in the other picture. Uh, but you can kind of, both pictures were sent around. So these police should have recognized him. But in any case, um, they asked him for his passport and he went into his backpack supposedly to look for a passport when he pulled out a gun and he shot one of the officers and um, the, um, the other officer shot him and, and he was killed. So, and then they, then they realized afterwards, you know, um, when people told them who they had shot. Uh, so all of this, you know, all of these little details, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you already know some of these, some of the, the, the stories, the facts of what happened, but I'm trying to drive home um, how these things should have been stopped all along the, the way. I mean, there was, so, from, from the time that he left Tunisia, uh, you know, even if he didn't have, it's not clear at this point whether he had radical ideas and that that's why he left Tunisia to go to Europe. I mean, it could well have been just that he went there uh, to have, try to have a better life. But he did get, you know, he, he, he wasn't a, a, a Boy Scout even when he was in Tunisia. I mean, he was already doing criminal activities and he continued doing criminal activities, arson and so on, and violent um, acts uh, when he went to Germany as well. I mean, when he went to Italy as well, which is why he was put in prison for four years. Uh, you know, it wasn't just a petty crime. So even though he wasn't a Boy Scout, it doesn't seem like he was, had been persuaded yet, influenced yet by ISIS to carry out a terrorist attack. So there were all these ways all along the way 
where he could have been stopped. So um, let me, and when he was in Germany and he, he was there also uh, put in custody pending deportation, um, and, and again, the same thing happened. He was denied asylum. He applied for asylum in Germany. He, this was denied. And he was supposed to be deported. But again, um, Tunisia wouldn't identify him and, and wouldn't uh, acknowledge that he was a Tunisian citizen. Now, you got to wonder how much that is influenced by uh, ISIS or terrorism or, you know, they don't want, did, he, did, they, did Tunisia not want him back because he was a criminal and they didn't, you know, he had been a criminal in Tunisia, criminal in, in, um, in Italy, did, he not, did they not want him back because he wasn't an upstanding citizen or because they were in league with ISIS or terrorist sympathies and they um, didn't want him back, they, they wanted him to be able to carry out terrorist attacks in Europe. Um, in Italy, he was imprisoned for setting fire to a school. And in Tunisia, um, he was convicted in absentia for a violent robbery. So this was, not, this was not a citizen you necessarily want back in your country. Now, he was also on U.S. radar because um, they had found that he had gone online to research explosive devices. And he had communicated with ISIS at least once. So he was on the U.S. no-fly list. Um, so, you know, the, there, were, the, there were breakdowns all over in Europe. And really, uh, I mean, you know, okay, he was on the U.S. fly list. That's great. But, you know, there were breakdowns all over the place. Um, now... <laughs> Angela Merkel, I mean, she's not going to be in office long, much longer. There's going to be an election coming up. But in the meantime, she's still doing um, damage. And um, I believe, it has been said by some, and I believe that the, these attacks that have been happening in Germany, she has blood on her hands for letting in all these people, not vetting them, and so on. You know, we're not talking about letting in people who are like the little Aleppo girl who um, has a Twitter account, this sweet little Aleppo girl who has gotten the world to pay more attention to all the atrocities that are happening in Aleppo in Syria. But, but there was, in, a, in a good vetting process, there would be a big difference in letting in the little girl from Aleppo and her mother and not letting in Anis Amri. So these things have got to happen. And, you know, it's a little bit, it's like letting and closing the barn door after the horse has already left. But we need to do what we can do at this point. Uh, she was warned of there being, a tro these immigrants being essentially Trojan horses that um, having the mask of, in fact, in fact, Anis Amri, he's 24, and he, when he came to Italy, he told them he was 17, so he was put in a youth detention camp, a youth uh, immigrants camp, um, you know, where I, I guess there were, he was allowed, you know, that was the way he was more sure of being allowed in, but, um, but in any case, I mean, these are just, you know, these are Trojan horses. These are people who are lying to come in. 
Um, she is now making small concessions, but she's not changing her basic philosophy of allowing people in. And she's deluding herself. Um, and, and at the same time, these people, uh, the victims of the attack, um, are, are dying for her, her uh, politically correct philosophy. And there's this patterns of, of people who coming into it uh, under surveillance, as I was saying before, Omar Mateen, the Boston Marathon bombers and so on, and not really being, um, being supervised, watched enough, or being sent out of the country. Now, I know what you're thinking. Um, most of us, like myself, have ancestors who were immigrants. I mean, essentially everyone except the native American Indians in America are, are immigrants. Even the people who came over on the Mayflower were immigrants. Um, but at that, and my grandparents came to the US from Poland and Russia and Austria. So if there had been a ban, a total ban on immigrants or immigrants from those countries, I wouldn't be here today. And I'm grateful that I am. And many of you have similar stories. Your ancestors came from other countries, not necessarily with countries uh, from countries that are essentially terrorist occupied. So, you, you know, the question can be asked, how can we speak about limiting immigration to the U.S. today, especially when it's only a small number who are terrorists? And also there are domestic terrorists, people who were born here, or like the little 12-year-old boy in Germany who was born there and yet influenced by ISIS. Um, when, when, before now, um, there weren't as many immigrants coming into other countries, Europe, America, um, where they were taught to carry out terrorist attacks in America, where that is, that is the philosophy um, that is taught there in large numbers. So we can't let the, our guilt and our, our political correctness get in the way of our common sense especially when we are seeing what is happening. You know, we have, it's like, it's like a, a tragic experiment, you know, in science, you would, you would do uh, experiments. You have one group, like in, in medicine, you have one group that takes a uh, certain medicine that you're experimenting with to see how, you know, whether that can help a certain illness. And then you have another group that doesn't get that, but gets a placebo. Um, and so it's kind of like what we're seeing in Germany. They are, they are sadly the country that is the experiment where, let's see, look what happens when you let in a million immigrants. And not all of them are terrorists. But you don't need all of them to be. You only need a very small number to be. And then you have what we had in Berlin. Um, you know, there's, there's more. Um, there is, um, in fact, people who, um, there, there are more, you know, ISIS has been sending out um, on the internet, uh, video, well, video, videos, let's start with that, videos and, and various and songs and, and uh, different kinds of propaganda to get people, to encourage people, uh, wannabe terrorists, to uh, commit terrorist attacks, particularly during the holiday season. 
And so the latest thing that they did was to send out a list of U.S. churches that they are encouraging uh, people to attack um, if, during the holidays. So, um, you know, and, and in fact, they have actually, they're already in the, in the United States, there already have been instances that have been discovered where um, people have, have reported, um, there have been reports from pastors and from law enforcement and just um, average citizens, and there seems to be a pattern. And this is that two Muslim uh, males will enter a church during the service and sit together in the back of the church. They'll take pictures oftentimes and record videos. And then when they're approached by concerned ushers, they will either tell them that they are interested in becoming Christians or they will run out of the church. So this is not just uh, <laughs> this is not just a possible thing. It is actually people going coming to um, scout out the churches. Now, um, you know, how does that make us feel? Obviously, kind of frightened. And um, to wit, <laughs> I will read the uh, letter. This is the time. This is the portion of the terrorist therapist show where uh, it's the Ask the Terrorist Therapist section, and I answer your letters and emails. And please, you can go to my um, Terrorist Therapist Facebook page and send me a, a message um, of questions that you have for me to ask in the next podcast. So today's uh, question is from Richard, and he's from Chicago, and he says, Dear terrorist therapist, I'm not even sure why I'm writing to you, but I just need to tell someone. It's Christmas and the world is going to hell. There has never been a Christmas like this in my lifetime where I'm scared to set foot out the door. People are being run over by trucks and blown up by bombs. How am I supposed to get into the Christmas spirit when I can, can't stop thinking that the world is going to end? And now I'm even afraid of going to church for midnight mass or on Christmas Day because I heard that ISIS has published a list of churches in the U.S. encouraging people to attack them. ISIS has won, at least by making our holidays miserable. Is there anything you can suggest? Well, Richard, to you and to all the people listening to this podcast, yes, I can suggest some things. First of all, um, we can't let them win. The only way you would let them win is by stopping your plans, by um, not going to church. I mean, what are the chances? Yes, you know, it's true that some people have been scouting out the churches. But um, even if there are, yes, there might indeed be a, an attack or two at a church. I can't sit here and say there won't. I can't guarantee that. But um, certainly we would let the terrorists win if, if people stay home from church. I mean, I've been to church, uh, I'm, I'm Jewish, and I've been to midnight mass, um, particularly in Paris, and which I guess, is, uh, I guess is also a target, although I don't know that they've put out specifically um, the Notre Dame in Paris, but that's kind of an obvious target. 
but in any case, um, you, you still need to go and, um, and it's a beautiful service and you, you need, you know, this is a time when we all need spiritual, um, to be in a spiritual place to attend service. Um, I attended the uh, Hanukkah concert that we had at my temple. Um, and and you, this is a time when you need spirituality more than ever. So um, what you need to do is, you know, you can't just stay at home um, and you need to try harder to make this season joyous. Whatever religion you are, Christian, Jewish, this, whatever you're celebrating, because actually um, Hanukkah, the first night of Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve. So we're all celebrating these things together. And we need to do that with a little louder music, a little more food, traditional food, um, a little more uh, believing in Santa, um, a little more movies, you know, uh, traditional, whether it's Fiddler on the Roof for people who are celebrating Hanukkah, or, um, or you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus <laughs> miracle on 34th Street for people who are celebrating Christmas. Um, and uh, you need to be with more family and friends and kids than ever. And um, we, otherwise, it is true that they will have won. And so, um, again, I'm not saying not to let any immigrants in anywhere, but there certainly it needs to come to a, a screeching halt until there is a proper, sufficient vetting process and people do need to be returned uh, to their home if there is any specific especially if there's any question about them so we would all love it if terrorism didn't exist we could open our borders and sing like the people um, singing at the site of the berlin uh, truck attack people are singing we are the world and yes you know it would be great but in the meantime <laughs> in the meantime we need to put a halt to immigration from countries that have large terrorist um, inspired populations and we need until we have set up and it takes this is not an easy feat it's going to take time to set up sufficient um, uh, vetting processes and so in the meantime you need to celebrate um, especially your the holidays Christmas Hanukkah the miracles of these holidays and we need to keep our borders safe and more carefully vet everyone. And, um, you know, this is particularly important to continue to celebrate the holidays um, because of the children, because of still making it great for the children. So um, I'm going to say goodbye. I'm, this is Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I, I wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy New Year. And um, I want to tell you that my <laughs> a hope on the horizon um, for how to talk about all this is particularly hard when all these things are happening at the, at the time of the holidays when, when kids are catching wind of this, these attacks on television and the radio and so on. Um, but I can tell you that in the next month, um, my book, uh, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror will be coming out. And you will have a way 
to be able to talk to your kids about what's happening in a way that uh, can calm them and yet um, let them know it's a gentle introduction to terrorism. So that is on the horizon. <laughs> it's one of the miracles of, of uh, uh, coming, that's going to be coming to help parents and teachers. And uh, again, thank you for listening. And happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.